Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Anyway, we are uh, smack bang in the middle of our Redefining Success series. And last week I mentioned about how success is really important to define because success really is how you uh, then kind of get driven in your life. It is what drives you. If you define success as being a business person, then you're going to build a successful business as much as you can. You're going to put all your effort into that. If you think that success, if you define success for yourself as being a a mom who is going to raise children, who are going to love God, then you're going to do whatever you can in order to do that. That is what success, a definition of success does. And today we're going to continue on that train of thought, redefining success. And I want to tell you a little bit of a story about something that um, I've learned over this year. As many of you guys know, uh, Beck and I were trying to sell our house for a couple of years, and we finally got that happening at the start of this year. We moved from Canningvale, our beautiful five by two um, house, with just the two of us, which is way too big. And we moved into a, a, a cozier and a more homely place in Carlisle, a three by two. And it was really, uh, we, we could really see God over this two, I know it's two years, a bit crazy. We don't wish that upon any person. Um, but the story for us, the, the journey for us was, was, was one of God just leading us and teaching us stuff. And we finally moved. And as part of moving, what happened is that when you move into, from a five by two to a three by two, you get a little bit of cash in hand, and, uh, which is really exciting. Woo! And uh, as pastors, we're always happy when we have a little bit of cash in hand. No, we're not doing, we don't do badly at all. Uh, but we had a little bit of cash in hand. And, and uh, we didn't see this as, hey, you know, we're going to party hard. We're going to go to the C restaurant every day. Uh, but we saw it as an opportunity to invest into our future. And I did a bit of research. I did a unit last year as part of my studies on money and stuff like that. And I found out that money sitting in a bank is one of the worst things you could do for money. Um, and so I decided to try to invest, and I was doing the research. And my brother-in-law, who uh, was an accountant in a previous life, and he saw the light and became a pastor, um, I was talking to him about it, and I was wondering what to do. And, and he passed me this book and said, hey, maybe this will help. This, will, this might speak into your situation. And I, I got this book, and I started reading it. And it got to the point about investing your money. And he talked about shares getting into shares, and that immediately was a bit of a, ooh, I I don't like that. Because growing up, I grew up when, um, uh, well, in my memory, was when one of the stock market crashes happened. And uh, my family actually knows a number of people that having dabbled in trading, um, they lost a lot. I know people who nearly lost their families because they, they gambled on the, on, the, on the share market. And I thought this person saying you should invest in the shares because it's a very stable uh, a form of investment was a little bit irresponsible. And I was like, whoa, this is really strange. But as I continued reading the chapter, I learned something uh, that there are two ways to do shares. That you can either play the trading game or you can play the waiting game. The trading game is basically where you watch the stock, the prices of stock go up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. The waiting game is simply this. You find a company that you trust that sits with your value system. So for example, me being a Christian, 
I am not going to invest in a company that kills people. Kind of simple, isn't it? It's like, I don't want to do that. Uh, I'm not going to, to invest in a company that sells lies. I'm not going to invest in a company that rubbishes human beings. I, I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to find an organization that sits well with my values, and I'm going to find a company that has been around for a little while, because then they have built trust over time. They are not just going to crash tomorrow. And if you find a company that sits right with your values and has been around for a little while, you buy some of their stock and you leave it. That is why it's called the waiting game. And what this guy said is that ideally you leave it for 20 years. You don't look at it, you don't touch it. And I was like really taken by that whole idea. And, and so I invested into it. And, and so Beck and I are now traders. We, we have moved up in the world. We are pretty proud of ourselves. We've got a few stock around. We are proud owners. And I've just got my first um, end of financial year statement from one of my companies. It is pretty spiffy. But let me tell you something about shares. When I first got it, it was really exciting. And I was logging in every day into my trading account and watching the prices. And the first two weeks, no joke, Nearly every day, the prices rose. And I was like, man, I've cracked this. I was like, I should go to Wall Street Journal and say, hey, 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 you guys have got no clue what you're doing. I've been doing this for two weeks, and it's been going up every single day. Well, two weeks went by, and it was exciting, and I was like, look at me go. And then um, a couple of my shares didn't keep going the way that they were supposed to go. And a few of them went down. In fact, about a week ago, Beck and I had so far lost about $1,000. And uh, Wall Street Journal isn't calling me anymore. <laughs> they don't want to know my expertise. But that's, that's not one of our stock, by the way. This is just a, a graph. But it shows you that within the space of a day, how much these things move. And uh, I, I said a week ago, we lost about 1000 about Three days ago, we had climbed back up, so we're now minus $400. But we make 600 bucks in the space of three days. Well, not really, but anyway. But uh, there was something about this that was really interesting to me, because what this guy was talking about was that there was a long-term goal, a long-term picture of success, right? The long-term picture of success in, in trading in shares is to build an investment for our future. And it's not just about the money, it's about being able to provide for my family, it's about maybe buying cars for my kids in the future when they start driving, probably like $500 bombs, I'm not gonna get them something nice because they're gonna trash it anyway. That's a good advice for every parent out there. And, um, uh, but we've got all these ideas and all these things that we wanna do with this money down the track. But then 20 years is a long time, right? And as I look at these prices go up and down, up and down, I found in myself that I was thinking like, what about if I sell the ones that aren't doing so well and I buy more of the ones that are doing well? Or, or maybe this is the time to sell because that price is high and then I buy more of the one that's really low because then hopefully that low one will just jump up and then that will make me even more profits. And I was thinking like a trader. I was trying to think about when to buy, when to sell and all of that kind of stuff. And then I had to remind myself that I was playing a waiting game and not the trading game. And, and there was this idea inside of me that when we define success 
And quite often, success is not success to, uh, tomorrow. It's often success down the track, right? We're not going to necessarily be a success tomorrow and do nothing for the rest of our lives. We've got this picture of success that is going to be down the track. It is going to take us a little while to get there. And in the process of trying to get there, we need to define as well. We need to define success, but we also need to define when to quit. We need to define our failure points, our exit points, our I'm going to throw in the towel moments. And for me, in this trading thing that I have gotten myself involved with, there are certain things that I have put in place about when to quit. And as I thought about it, none of them is about money. Because I know that if I leave this alone, it will most probably grow. And I'm more about the long-term growth rather than the quick buck that I could make right now. And so none of my pull-out points are about money. Let me share with you some of the pull-out points that I make for myself. I'm going to pull out of this trading game when it's causing me more stress than I sign up for. I'm going to pull out of this trading game if it's causing me more anxiety, if it's costing me more time, if it's drawing me into a place where every single day I'm worrying about it, I'm researching some new company, I'm trying to make something happen, I'm trying to, 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 to make it successful right now. If I get sucked up into that bubble, it is not worth it. It's not worth it. Why? Because being a trader is probably maybe 10th on my list of priorities. I put money into it, and sometimes when you put money into stuff, it automatically tries to bump itself up your priority list, doesn't it? But I don't want it to, and so it's going to stay down there. My priority is to my wife. My priority is to God. My priority is to you guys. Are you happy to know that you're above my trading account? And so if, if, if I get to a place where my soul is so attached to this trading account that I'm neglecting my family, that I'm neglecting my rest, I'm neglecting my true priorities, I'm out of here. And I think it's important for all of us in defining success for ourselves, we also need to define when are moments that we need to pull back from the things that we are doing from the things that are occupying our time and our lives because sometimes I think we don't quit when we're supposed to quit and then at other times we are not persevering where we're supposed to persevere. And when we don't know whether to persevere or to quit, we stay in this state of confusion and we often settle for second best. We often settle in the moment because we have forgotten the big picture. We've forgotten about what this was all about for, what, what, what this was for and, and we end up in this time moment and we make really bad decisions. And there's a story in the Bible, an account of a man named Joseph. And Joseph is an interesting fella. And you can read his story in Genesis 39, and it spans all the way to most of Genesis, really. And so we don't have time for that this morning. But let me introduce you to Joseph. Many of you know him already. Joseph uh, uh, was, uh, was something like the 10th son of his, of his dad. His dad had four wives. Uh, to cut it short, and he was the first son of his most favorite wife, and so he became the favorite son. He became the favorite son, and so what he did, what the dad did, is that he bought him a multicolored coat, or at least that's what Hollywood tells us and Broadway tells us. It just says in the Bible, an ornate coat, and we know that it means something really good because it has the word Nate in it. 
It's a really beautiful, amazing coat. It's an ornate cloak. And he wore it as a symbol of his favor. He wore it as a symbol of his position in the family that even though he wasn't the firstborn who should have been getting all the favor, he was the tenth born, but he was still carrying an authority and a position that was way beyond what he deserved. And he had this cloak, and, and at the same time, he also got a dream. God gave him two dreams, actually, and these dreams would then define what success would be for this young man. They were dreams that he would be in leadership over his family. And he went to share, a little bit foolishly, with his family that God has given me a dream where you will be one day bowing down to me. And, and, and this is interesting because very few people in the Bible get such a clear picture of success. He has probably already got a definition of success. And I would think that if God gave you such a dream that you would be thinking that position is going to determine success for this young man, isn't it? He's going to get into a position of success. He was already probably seeing that his brothers were one day going to be serving him because his dad really, really, really liked him. But something happens in chapter 39 because uh, um, Joseph's brothers got really jealous of him and they actually sell him into slavery. And in one moment, he went from the favorite son he went from the son uh, that, that had a position of influence and authority to becoming a slave, a person who had no more favor, a person who had no more rights or privileges, a person who would not even have a voice, a person who would not have many choices left to him. You would think that such a fall would be one that would tell him to give up on his dream. You would think that that was a throw-in-the-towel moment. You would think that for me, I think for me, that if I was in such a situation, I would be seriously questioning whether that version of success should be one that I'm pursuing. Whether that version of success is one that was truly from God or was that just a fanciful dream inside of my heart. That position that he found himself in was a difficult position. But there was something really interesting about Joseph. And we can read about this in verses 3 to 6, which you can see on the screens. It says, when his master, his master, his name was Potiphar. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. I want to highlight this word, did. Three letters, but of great significance. When, when the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. And it goes on to describe that Potiphar made him in charge, not just of his household, but of all of his business. And I want to highlight the word did, because one thing that failure does to many of us is that failure causes us to stop. Our definition of failure, our perceived failure of the moment will cause us to give up on things. It will cause us to get a little bit hopeless about our situation and it often causes us to see that maybe it's not worth going on. I heard this psychologist say this very recently. I might have mentioned it last week. I don't remember. But this psychologist says that trauma causes myopia. 
trauma causes myopia. And now we often think about trauma as like uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. We go to war, or we see some a loved one die, and, and all of that kind of stuff, which is trauma. But there's a more insidious, a more uh, a sublime trauma that many of us don't actually often are conscious about, and that is the amount of stress that we are uh, heaping onto our souls and onto our lives. When there are big decisions that we need to make and we can't find a new way out, that can be a source of trauma. And what that trauma does when it's weighing heavily on our soul is that it causes us to be myopic. Myopic simply means short-sighted. So when you find yourself in a place where you think that the options in front of you are not worth doing anymore, and you are finding that option after option you are cutting off of your life, you know what's happening? There is trauma weighing heavily on your soul. And why Joseph stands out to me is because even though his position was used to be one of favor and now is one of slavery, he continued to see options in front of him. He continued to see that maybe if I continue to serve this guy, something good will come out of it. Maybe if I continue to keep my heart and I continue to serve with excellence, God can make something out of this. And this is why it's so important to determine where your pull-out moments are, when it's time to throw in the towel. Because often your situation will change. And let me tell you about something about uh, situations. They are outside of your control. They are completely outside of your control. You don't control the weather. You don't control uh, anything. You don't control your bosses. You don't control the economy. You don't control whether there's famine or whether there's drought or whether there's plentiful. You don't control any of that. And if you base your failure, your pull-out point on the situation, you will be tossed left, right, center. You'll be gone everywhere because you don't know whether to continue. You don't know whether to press on or you don't know whether to give up. And there's a moment where you suddenly see where you are in your life and you go, there's no options left for me. That's when we allow trauma to settle on our souls. But for Joseph, he didn't. Which is remarkable because what happens next isn't very nice. The next moment, Potiphar, he had his wife and his wife really liked Joseph. I mean, really like, really, really liked Joseph. When church, so I'm going to leave it at that. She really liked Joseph and propositioned him a number of times, saying, come to my room. And Joseph said, no, my master has entrusted me this household, which includes you, and I will not do this against him. And continued on for multiple times. And one day, she was crazy, and she grabs his cloak, and he runs off and leaves his cloak behind. It wasn't the, the, the nice one. His brothers had destroyed it. It was a slave cloak. And she... She grabbed it and he ran off and she then took this cloak and went to her husband and said, look at what your Hebrew slave is doing to me. Now, Joseph had already worked himself up into a position, right? A position where he now again had authority. He now again had certain rights and privileges. Yes, he was just a slave, but he was a slave of the captain of the guard of Egypt. And, and he was now in charge of the whole household. So even though he was a slave to Potiphar, and Potiphar had claim over his life, he was still given lots of room to do what he wanted to do. But in that moment when his, when Potiphar's wife went to him, Potiphar throws Joseph back into prison. He again went from a position of some privilege to a place where he had no privilege, no rights, no voice, 
much, much choice. Maybe this, maybe this time around he would see that the way he was at was a failure. Joseph, Joseph, Joseph was crazy. Joseph, Joseph was a little bit out there. And the, Bi and the Bible goes on to tell us that Joseph, his friends in prison, his warden, loved him so much that he once again rose through the ranks. He once, he once again was placed in charge. He didn't, he didn't stop. He kept, he kept doing. He kept, he kept going. And this, and this made me think that, oh my gosh, why do we base our lives on our status? Why do we base our lives on transition? Why do we base our success or failure on, on, what, is, on what is happening outside of us? Because when I look at Joseph, there is something that I'm seeing here. He did not give up because what he controlled, he controlled. And what he could control was his heart. He, he, I believe that for Joseph, the, 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 the failure points, the give up points, was, was if, if he gave up on his morality. It would have been easier for him to sleep, to sleep with his master's wife than for him to go to jail. It would have been easier for him to compromise what was in his heart, who he was as a person, his character, than to continue on holding a dream that God had given to him. He continued to serve with excellence. If there's nothing else that I can do, I will always do that thing with excellence. That he, that he controlled. He, was, he wasn't out of options. He had plenty of options for inside his soul. And I, th and I think that this is really important because we talk about redefining success. We need, we need to think about what are, the, what are those non-negotiables inside of your soul? What are those things that you always choose to do inside of yourself? That you will know that the moment I cross this line, that is, that is not a good place to be in. Do you, do you know what those are? Your business. Is your, is your business all about making a quick buck? Or is it about how you're going to be treating your clients and how you're, and how you're going to be treating your providers? I heard this, I heard this week, and I was really sad about this actually was last week. One of, one of uh, 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 the guys who was trying to, well, he's not trying, he's actually set up a, 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 an ethical business that is trying to help farmers and, and, and people in Thailand, and, 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 and he's doing a great job with it, and he's a Christian guy, and so he tried to try to go to Christian businesses and say, hey guys, this is what I'm doing, I'm doing with me, and they're like, man, you're making a you're so cool. He told me, mate, you know what? Christian businesses are the worst. He said, he said, Christian Christians businesses are the ones always, always hanging like light. They want to partner with the ethical business, but they're not ethical themselves. He has to chase them up. Three, three months of chasing up. It's a small, small business that we're talking about. Why? Why? Christian Christians, we should be the best to an ethical business. We should be the best. And I was challenged by this because if you want to change life, we sometimes money is not something that we have on out of our seats. And we don't have that. And so sometimes we're looking for a cheap get by. trying to get by. No, 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 no. I'm not going to compromise what I'm inside here. Now, what about your family? What are your non-negotiables in your family? What are those lines that you're not going to cross? What are those things that will guard you from stopping? No, it's not just for kids, your kids are going, going the way that you want them to. Want them to. Does, that mean, Does that mean that you give up on them? Because I know, I know the parents that have. And 
Maybe that's maybe that's not the line that you're drawing. Maybe that's not the line that you should be drawing. Maybe maybe you think about what is inside of you, the things that you can control. And look at those lines and say, say, when I do this, then I'll get up. Or when my heart is in that state, then possibly it's time to stop. Stop. I don't have any expertise to you. I don't get to tell you what failure, failure, what those give up moments are for you, you. what those lines are that I've been drawn for. Because your life is different. different. Very much like like your your articulation of what your success success is 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 not something that I'm going to tell you because because you are are unique. unique. Someone that God has created for a purpose. But I'm just here to tell you that maybe you just need to learn. One of those times to give up, and one of those times to continue to persevere. The Bible tells us that if you continue to persevere, continue to do the good, because at the right time, you will yield the harvest of righteousness. And that's a really annoying word, at the right time. Because it's not what I think is the right time, it's what God thinks is the right time. And just like shares, I've been in shares for six months, and I'm trying to. Work out what twenty years later looks like twice on six months, months. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, oh, I'm so good. Oh no, I'm terrible at this. Oh, I'm so good. I'm terrible at this. Most of your life is like this. Don't you love it? I sit with you. I know what you're like. The top of the hill in the moment, next moment, you and I come up here based on the situation. That's not the way it is. We need to be able to get that long sightedness about our lives. To guard against the trauma of our soul that keeps us small. One of the things that I love about God is that He knew what failure was for Him. We can get the band up this morning. And God really put this on my heart. And I love the theme that has been coming through in our worship this morning and what the Bible is talking about. But I think there's something really interesting about because our God didn't define failure based on what we choose. I'm going to say that again because you guys didn't get that. God doesn't define failure based on what we choose. God defined failure according to what he would choose. And so he chose love. He knew Many of us wouldn't choose them back. back. Success rate is pretty poor. But that didn't define his vision of success. In fact, God God said that success for me is pouring out all that I have. To continue to love even though I'm not loved. To continue to pursue even though they're not faithful. I'm not speaking this about you, I'm speaking this about me. Not always I'm faithful to God, and even in the, some of the choices that I make, I'm not always faithful to His kingdom and what He's doing. But God doesn't define the success based on what I do. Some of us think that. Many of us think that. We think that we only earn God's love when we've actually get to that place of wholeness. This is becoming an epidemic in our Christian circles. The number of people I sit with and say, I would love to know the God that you talk about, but the God that I know doesn't love like what you talk about. It's like, hang on, hang on. 
Why? Why? Why is that thought even in your head? Because God, God, God's already demonstrated on the cross that He wasn't holding back. God hasn't given up. He already did all that He can do to let you know that He loves you. That even though you were undeserving of grace, that's exactly what He gave to you. Even though you had trampled on His mercy, He continues to love. And if that is the God who's willing to give it all, we know that He's not going to give up. His storehouses are abundant and plentiful. His love is beyond anything that we could even imagine. So why do you think that you could get away from that? Why do you think that you could be beyond the point of redemption? That is an absolute lie from the enemy. To let you think that God has given up on you, who do you think God is? No, 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 no. Can I encourage you, don't give up on God because He hasn't given up on you. Don't give up on God because He hasn't given up on you. No, you need to hear this. Don't give up on God because He hasn't given up on you. He's still able to give and He still gives. He has still decided to give more grace. As long as you're alive, as long as you have breath in your lungs, is a day that He said, I'm sustaining you and I'm still going to pursue you. Some of you this morning need to make a decision to say, God, I want to come back to you. I want to come back into a place, a relationship with you. I want to accept your love and I want to accept your presence in my life. And if that is you this morning, I'm going to lead you into a prayer. And we're all going to say this prayer together to create this space that we can together acknowledge God's love and invite Jesus into our lives. Can I just get everyone to close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment? And let's say this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I know that I'm not good enough. I could never earn your grace. I have missed a mark. God, I thank you that you haven't given up on me, that you continue to love, that you continue to pursue. And I know that you're standing at the door of my heart and you are knocking. I welcome you in. Be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.